Today I'm continuing to teach on the subject of Christian philosophy. And I tell you, this is powerful. I've really been blessed by it. I believe that this is impacting people's lives. I know that the terminology philosophy doesn't necessarily ring true with everybody, but that's a scripture. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And I was using Genesis chapter 3 and showed how that this is how Satan came against Adam and Eve. He didn't come and overpower them, but instead he came with words, and the very first thing he did was attack their confidence, and their adherence to what God had said. He said, has God really said, you shall not eat of every tree that's in the garden? And so he challenged the Word of God. The very first philosophy, I believe the foundation of all Christian philosophy, way of thought, system of thinking, has to be the Word of God. That is imperative. And I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on that. Matter of fact, I've got a a teaching album entitled uh, A Sure Foundation that's about that very thing. I've got teaching about uh, effortless change that's about that very thing. Matter of fact, I just minister on this constantly because this is one of the foundation principles in my life. If you don't believe the accuracy of the Word of God, I mean without exception, then you are fertile ground for doubt and unbelief. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Doubt comes by hearing and believing and adhering to anything contrary to the Word of God. Boy, those are some awesome statements. And there are some of you that just wonder, why is it that you struggle so hard to believe? It's because you have accepted the Word of people, the Word of a doctor, the Word of a lawyer, the Word of a banker. That's more real to you than what God's Word says. You know, some of you have seen Alan and Debbie Moore's testimony. We put out a DVD about Alan had a massive stroke. One-third of his brain was dead, and yet Debbie just stood and believed. And now Alan and Debbie moved here. They work for us. They're some of the ones that actually answer our phones when you call into our phone center. And uh, anyway, that's a tremendous testimony. We have that on our website that you can see that. But recently when we went through this Waldo Canyon fire... Uh, they had the fire come within 25 feet, I think they said, of their home. And they just stood and rebuked it. And then they had to evacuate. They left their home. And while they were gone from their home, somebody else told them that they saw their house burnt. And so they were told that their house burnt. And yet, Debbie had a scripture to stand on. I forget exactly which one she was using, but she had some scripture about... Uh, that you quenched the violence of the fire. I think Alan's the one that got that from Hebrews chapter 11. I, I forget the details. But anyway, they were standing on a scripture. And when somebody told them that they had seen their house burn, they just rejected that and said, we refuse to believe that. We believe what God's word and the promises that he said to us. And when they were allowed to go back, when the evacuation were lifted, guess what? Their home was still there. That other person was incorrect. They stood on the Word of God. How many people would believe the Word of God and the promises of God to them so strong that they would believe that even if somebody comes up and says, I saw your house burn? How many people believe that they're still healed by His stripes when the doctor says you're going to die? 
How many people, when the news comes out and says that we're in a recession and everybody's going to lose everything, how many people believe that I, my God shall supply all of my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus? Boy, those are powerful statements I'm making right here. And see, this is the reason that a lot of people don't see the Word of God work for them because they may believe the Word of God to a degree, but they believe what the doctor says, what the lawyer says, what the banker says, what their friend says, what, you know, and they just don't put God's Word as final authority in their life. And see, this was the reason that Satan came against Eve and attacked the Word of God the very first thing. So we've already talked about that. I could continue to talk about that. But here's the second thing that you've got to do, and it's right here in this example of the serpent coming and tempting Adam and Eve. So let me go back to this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Did you know that's not what God said? God said, Don't eat of it. He didn't say anything about touching it. Eve added to God's Word. And the moment you start, you may take a truth from God, but if you embellish it and add to it and amplify on it, you're getting into trouble. And I guarantee you, Satan is going to challenge you and he'll show you an, something, an error in the things that you've added to it. See, this is what religion does all of the time. Religion comes along, say for instance... Let me use a passage of Scripture over here. I believe it's in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. And it talks about the wives being in subjection unto your husband. And then it gives some um, instructions about the way they dress. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 3, "...whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek." and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so they'll take a scripture like this and they'll say, see, women can't, they can't plait their hair. You can't put it up. You can't wear makeup. You can't wear gold. And they just put all of these restrictions down. And I've actually known some Pentecostal women that had naturally rosy cheeks. I mean, they just naturally had a blush. But rather than look like they had put rouge on or something, they will cake the powder on and actually wear lots of makeup to make it look like they aren't wearing makeup. Only religion could get people to do that. And they say, see, you can't wear gold and they have restrictions on how, you know, the length of their dress and all these kind of stuff. This is saying, don't make that the emphasis. And you can prove that because right here in verse 3, it says, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting in the hair, of wearing gold, or of putting on of apparel. If you're going to take this, that you can't plait your hair, you can't braid your hair or put your hair up, or you can't wear gold, if you are going to take this scripture and say that this is forbidding women doing those things, then you're going to have to be consistent. In the last part of this verse, it says, or the putting on of apparel. Does this mean that women aren't supposed to wear clothes? Amen. Hopefully everybody understands that that's not what this is saying. It's just saying don't make this outward person the focus. Don't spend an hour, two hours getting ready every time. I, I'm not against 
wearing makeup or doing things like this. If your barn needs painting, paint it. If it needs two coats, give it two coats. But I would say this, that you can go to an extreme where you spend hours and hours and hours on the outward person and forget the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That's all this scripture is talking about. But see, religion comes along and takes a truth and then embellishes it and goes further. And people, get they get so restrictive saying you can't do this and you can't do that. And then people come along and realize that if you violate some of religious commands, God still loves you. You didn't fall apart. The devil didn't come in and eat your lunch and pop the bag. And so people think, well, you know what? I think that that was wrong. And instead of just throwing out the embellishment that religion is made to the commandments of God, they actually throw out the commandments of God and they miss the truth. You are supposed to be modest is what this is getting across. Did you know that the word modest, our English word modest, comes from a word that the same word we get moderation from? Modesty is in moderation. If you are going back to the 1600s or the 1700s and if you are living in an extreme thing and you wear drab colors and everything is the way it was hundreds of years ago and you are so out of touch that every time you walk into a crowd, you just stand out. Did you know what? That's not modest. That's not moderation. I believe in modesty, but you know, you can go to an extreme trying to be modest. So see, these are embellishments. This is what Eve did. Eve, the Lord said, don't eat of the tree or you'll die. Eve said, we can't eat of it or we can't even touch it. And if you look down here, after Satan had finally convinced her to do it, it says in verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, comma, and did eat. You know what this is saying? She didn't just take of the fruit and eat, but she took of the fruit. She touched it. And when she didn't die from touching it, then she was emboldened to eat it. See, she had embellished and added to what God said, and she first of all just touched it. She put her toe in the water and tested it, and then when nothing happened, she just jumped in full bore. This is what people do. They sit there and they challenge the religious doctrines. I was raised that, you know, boys couldn't go swimming with girls in the same pool, and to make it even sound worse, they called it mixed bathing instead of mixed swimming. And so they put terrible emphasis on that. Well, there's a lot of my friends that they went to a public swimming pool. They swam. They didn't lust after anybody. Nothing happened. And you know what? Because nothing bad happened, they just wound up throwing out all of the rest of the doctrines of the church and they just went wild. You know, you need to stick with what God says. But Eve, see, embellished it. She says, we can't even eat of the fruit or we can't touch it lest we die. And look at what the devil said through the serpent. It says, The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. It started off with just a question. Did God really say this? If, if the serpent would have come and said, God's a liar and what he told you is wrong. Don't observe it. You know what? Adam and Eve probably would have rejected that. But he doesn't come that subtly. It doesn't, it's not always a frontal attack. He sneaks in and he just plants a thought. And see, this is the reason that you need to have a Christian philosophy that God's Word is absolutely true. And when God tells you something, you just do it. And you don't sit there and debate it 
and challenge it and think, well, I think my way of understanding is better than God's. You may not understand things, but I can guarantee you what God says is true and you just do what God says. That's a Christian philosophy that you should have. But he came and first of all just sowed a little doubt and then once he saw that the woman responded by saying what God said, but adding to it. She was no longer depending 100% upon what God said. Now she was leaning under her own understanding. She had put her own interpretation to it. Satan knew that he had her. And so now he came out and he says, it's not true. God, What God says is not true. You will not die. And now he begins to actually come against the motives of God for saying something. And he says, the reason God told you this is because God doesn't really love you. He's trying to hinder you and hold you back from reaching your full potential. And I'm going to talk about that later. But here is a second Christian philosophy that you need to have. The first one is you just make God's Word absolute. If God says it, you do it. You don't debate it. You don't add your own opinion to it. You have to believe that God's Word is absolute. A second Christian philosophy that would have totally killed this temptation and have solved the problem is just to make a decision that there's only one God and I am not Him. And if God says this, then I just obey God. The way we would say this in the New Testament is you make Jesus Lord. You, you aren't master controller of yourself. Boy, that is an important, important statement. Let me use a verse over here out of Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. And this passage is one that I have referred to many, many times. If you were to read this in its context, it would even make a greater impression upon you. But Jeremiah is talking about the judgment of God coming upon the nation of Israel because they totally rejected God's covenant. They were idol worshipers, etc. And he prophesied that they were going to be led into bondage. And he prophesied that when that happened, that the enemy would come in and rape the women cut the women that are pregnant up and, and abort their babies, kill the people, just total devastation. And then Jeremiah says, how could this happen to the people of God? The people who at one time were his apple of his eye, the people who were favored more than any other people on the face of the earth, how could you come from being so favored to being so despised and judged by the very God of that nation? And he answers his own question by saying this in Jeremiah chapter 10 and in verse 23, he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So here's his answer. He says, the reason all of this came to pass is because they just chose their own thing. They leaned unto their own understanding. They forsook the covenant of God and all of the instructions of God. The instructions that were actually given to help them and to give them a happy and a beneficial life. And they forsook all of that and they chose to do things their own way. But this is a profound statement that, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Now, I will say this. God has given us complete freedom and authority to run our own life. You have the choice. God is not going to force His way upon you. He's not going to put you under His thumb and force you to do what He wants you to do. Contrary to some people's teaching, 
Some religious people teach that God just sovereignly controls everything and He's breaking you and molding you. Some people teach that fate has a path for you and you can't deviate from it and you're being forced into things. That is not what the Word of God teaches. Religion teaches that, but not the Word of God. God gave you the freedom to choose and you can choose wrong and God will protect your right to make the wrong choices. So I admit that that's true, but even though God will give you the freedom to make the wrong choice, He encourages you to choose His way because the way of man is not in Himself. God did not intend for you to rule your own life. He gave you the choice and the authority to do that, but that's the wrong choice. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, He says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. God said, I give you the choice, life or death, blessing or cursing. That shouldn't be a hard choice. That should be a no-brainer. Life or death. God gave you the choice. And then He even gives you the answer. He says, choose life. Amen. It's like saying, is it A or B? And then in parentheses, A is the answer. Choose life. God has given you the choice, but the right choice is to recognize that you aren't smart enough to run your own life. You need to let God rule your life. So here's a second philosophy that I'm emphasizing and that I believe every person needs to make, and that is that Jesus is Lord, that God is absolutely dominant, that you aren't smart enough. You have the opportunity, you have the privilege of choosing, but God, the right choice would be to choose God's instruction and let God be the master, the ruler, the controller of your life. You know, that is so simple. That is really simple. And it simplifies the Christian life if you do this. On March the 23rd, 1968, I had this encounter with the Lord. God showed me I was a hypocrite. I was religious. I was trusting in my own goodness. And He just revealed to me how ungodly I was. It totally took that self-righteousness and that pride out of me. And I yielded and may turn my life over to the Lord the best I knew how. And I, to, for the last 44 years, I've been seeking to let Jesus be Lord of my life. And you know what? It just absolutely simplified my life. Now, I don't struggle. I really don't struggle. I remember when I went to Pritchett, Colorado. It's a very long story. I won't go into the whole thing. But when we first drove through that town on our way to somewhere else... I had a friend and his wife in the car with Jamie and me. And as we drove through Pritchett, it's like the most God-forsaken place on the face of the earth. I've told a lot of people that if you can't see the end of the... I mean, if, if Pritchett isn't the end of the world, you can see it from Pritchett, Colorado. And you know, recently my television crew went to Pritchett, Colorado to film some, th some history about our ministry. And uh, when I got down there and met them, they said, you did not exaggerate this at all. This is exactly the way you put it. And as we were driving through Pritchett, I told my friend, I said, thus saith the Lord, God's calling you to Pritchett. And I, I was just joking with them and saying, who would live in Pritchett, Colorado? Why would anybody live here? And you know what? It wasn't very long until I got an opportunity to go minister in a church we saw a man raised from the dead. There was only 10 people in this church. It's only 144 people in the whole town. And we saw a man raised from the dead. 
And they came to me as I was getting ready to leave town after this meeting. And they said, you can't come in here and teach this stuff, turn all of our theology upside down, and then just leave. You've got to stay here and teach us. And I laughed at them. I said, you've got to be kidding. I'm not staying in Pritchett, Colorado. I'm out of here. And I left. But before you know, we got out of the city limits, which was only 20 yards <laughs> down the street. I started feeling a conviction of God and driving back to Texas about a six-hour trip. Man, by the time I got back to my home in Texas, I knew that God wanted me to come to Pritchett, Colorado. And it was not my choice. It's not what I would have picked. I had a vision of doing other things and Pritchett isn't on the way to anywhere. It's a dead end. It's a graveyard for a minister. It, there was a lot of reasons why I didn't want to go there in the natural. But once I knew that this is what the Lord wanted me to do, I had already made this decision to make Him my Lord and do whatever. And once I knew that it's what He wanted me to do, it was fine. I was excited about it. If it meant that that was the end of our ministry, fine. It just simplifies your life. I didn't have heel marks all the way across the panhandle of Texas going to Pritchett, Colorado. I was excited because I knew it was what God wanted me to do. And you need to have that philosophy. You just got to make a decision that God is almighty. He's God. You aren't. And you submit to Him. You don't lean under your own understanding. You just do what He says. In the New Testament, we say this by saying that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's telling you how you receive salvation and you should be making Jesus Lord of your life. You know, basically religion has changed this to where salvation is just a decision. You just pray a prayer, you make a decision that Jesus is God and as long as you acknowledge that, you come to pass. But the Scripture says, if you will confess Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And when you're making Jesus Lord, that doesn't mean that you're promising that you'll never make a mistake, that you're going to do everything right, that you're going to follow Him and it'll always be perfect. That's not what that means because you can't fulfill that. But it does mean that you are willing to turn your life over and you're submitting to Him and you are submitting to His guidance his lordship, leadership in your life. You have to get off the throne of your life and let God sit there. And you know what? We all grew up basically doing our own thing. We were the center of the universe. It all revolved around us. And so you have to break that nature and that habit. And it's an effort. And I'm not saying you do it without any difficulty or any you know failures along the way, but that should be your commitment. March the 23rd, 1968, I made that commitment to the Lord. And I totally made Jesus my Lord. Now, I've not fulfilled it perfectly. And there's times that I don't do things. But man, the moment I recognize that I'm off track and that I'm doing my own thing and I'm leaning into my own understanding, the moment I recognize it, I repent and I turn back. And I have never had to recommit myself to Jesus being Lord. There is no such thing as recommitment or rededicate. If you were truly committed or dedicated in the first place, you don't ever become undedicated. You may get off track, but it's because of human error and frailty. But you, if you're truly committed, it's just something that it, it's done. I committed myself to Jesus being Lord, and it has simplified my life.
It has just made it really, really simple. And again, I think I've used this example before, but I have people come to me all the time saying God told them to do something, but then they give me all the reasons why they can't do it, and then they say, what do you think? And my pat response, I, I've said this to many, many people. I just come back and I say, look, if Jesus told you to do it, that's the end of it for me. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about anything. It doesn't matter. Somebody says, but I could die. Well, then die. Man, I'd rather die doing what God told me to do than live and be in disobedience. And see, there's some people, oh, I couldn't make that decision. You know why? Because Jesus isn't really Lord of your life. I'm not meaning that to be restrictive or hard on anybody. I'm just saying that this is a philosophy. This is an outlook, a worldview, a way of looking at things that I believe every Christian should have. That Jesus is your Lord. He died for you. You're going to live for Him. And if that means that, that whatever He calls you to do is going to cost you money, it's going to cost you friends, it's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost you your dreams. It's going to cost anything. You just do it. doesn't matter. When the Lord called me to go to Pritchett, Colorado, that is not a place that I wanted to go in the natural. I had joked about it and made fun of like who would live in Pritchett, Colorado. But when God finally spoke to me and told me I had to go back and help those people and teach them, did you know it looked like the end of all of my dreams? I had dreams. I didn't know the specifics, but I believed that someday I would have a worldwide ministry that I'd be reaching people all over the world. That's been in my heart for decades. And when the Lord told me to go to Pritchett, Colorado, Pritchett isn't a way to anywhere. It's a dead end. It's not a stepping stone to something else. The only way you leave Pritchett is feet first in a coffin. I mean, it just... You couldn't go. I, there was 10 people in this church and there was only 144 people in the whole town. And there's no way that you could use that to build a ministry and to do something. And from my natural understanding, to go to Pritchett was just to lay down all of my dreams, all of my goals, basically run up a white flag and say, God, if you want me to go there and die, I'll do it because this is what you want. And I didn't go there griping and complaining. Once I knew that it was the Lord that wanted me to go to Pritchett, then I went there and I was glad to do it. I actually enjoyed living in Pritchett as much as any place I've ever lived. It was exciting. We were seeing miracles happen, blind eyes open, people raised from the dead. It was just awesome. And I loved it. But my point is that, see, obeying the Lord looked like it was going to kill me. And in the natural, I don't think anybody would have said that this is a positive step. You aren't moving up the ladder. You're moving in reverse to go and pastor in Pritchett, Colorado. But it's what God told me to do. And so it didn't matter what, what it looked like. It didn't matter if it was the end of my vision or whatever. It's just what the Lord said. And so I went and I enjoyed it. Did you know within six months or so, the Lord put me on radio. We, started, we incorporated our ministry within eight months of be, being in... Pritchett, and that became the stepping stone to what I'm doing right now. Now that I look back with hindsight, I can't see any way that God could have got me to where we are today without going through Pritchett. At the time, I couldn't see any way that going to Pritchett would get you anywhere. But what I'm saying is, see, some people, with your understanding, you think that if you obey God, it's going to destroy you. But it's really not so. 
God's plans for you are good. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I think the NIV says a hope and a future. God's plans for you are good. They may not look good to you. And if you just evaluate things and judge it based on your own understanding, you may think this is going to kill me. This is the end of anything good that's ever going to happen. But it's not that way. The Lord... His plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. Some of you are fearful that if you make Jesus Lord, that He's going to ask you to go to the deepest part of Africa and live in a grass hut. Well, somebody's got to go minister to those people. I can't guarantee you that God wouldn't call you to do it, but I can say this, that if that's what God wanted you to do, you would prosper. God would bless you. And you would have a love. God would put the love in your heart for that, and it would be the best thing ever. A friend of mine... Uh, grew up in Africa. I, th- I forget what he was now, whether he was Nigerian, a Kenyan, something like that. And he grew up in a grass hut. And I've used this example before. And he says, what's wrong with growing up in a ni- grass hut? We had the nicest grass hut in the whole village. <laughs> you know what? I'm not saying that God won't lead you someplace, but I'm saying that if He does, it will be the best thing for you. You'll be happier fulfilling God's will than you would ever be fulfilling your own will. I'm just here to testify that having a philosophy that Jesus is Lord and that if He tells me to do wherever He leads, I'll go. Whatever He says, I'll do. And again, you aren't perfect. You will probably stumble along the way. But if that is your heart's desire and if you want to do that, God will bless you. And again, I am not the perfect example on this. I think that there's other people that have served God much better than I have. But I can promise you that I made the Word of God absolute authority in my life and I started having it speak to me and God has spoken to me through the Word. Then the second philosophy, I made Jesus absolute Lord of my life. I haven't done it perfectly, but to the best of my ability, I am doing what the Lord has told me to do. And I can guarantee you, I am seeing God do greater things in my life than ever would have happened under my own steam and power. Some of you have heard me say this before, but my mother died in 1999 at 96 years of age. And I was talking to her just the month before she died, and she wanted to hear again all that God was doing through the ministry. And she was just so blessed. She was praising God about the outreaches all over the world and the miraculous things and the people's lives that are being changed. And... um, My mother was just really blessed by it. But she looked right at me and she said, Andy, you know that that's God. And I said, yes, mother, I know that this is God. And she stuck her little bony finger right in my face and she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. And you know, some people think, well, that's a terrible thing to say. But I knew exactly what she meant and it was exactly true. I'm testifying to you that I am seeing God do things for me that I'm not smart enough to do. Jamie and I, when we first got started in ministry and we were doing things, we nearly starved to get death for 10 years. We could have gotten food stamps, unemployment. We, We were just struggling. We would go days and weeks without eating. We struggled, struggled, struggled. Now our ministry is bringing in between two and three million dollars a month And we're using all of this to build this Bible college campus and do things. But I'm saying that we have grown in a way that I can guarantee you I am not smart enough to do this. 
The Lord has led me just because I've made the decision that I'm listening to His Word and He speaks to me through the Word. And then He tells me specific things to do. And I've done it. And many times I've done it when it looks like it was to my own detriment. I remember when He told me to give my materials away free. And I made a promise that I'd never deny anybody access to the things that God has shown me because of finances. And I had no idea that I'd be giving away, you know, 20 million pieces of books, uh, CDs, and videos and things. I didn't know how big it was going to get, but I just made a commitment and said, God, I'll, I'll never deny anybody access to it because of finances. We encourage people to give. We tell you what a suggested donation is. But, you know, over 50% of the people who contact our ministry ask for materials free of charge and don't get a th- give a thing, and we give it to them. Over 50%. I think it's actually 53%. And yet it works. You know, that looks like a stupid thing to do. And I've had people challenge me on this before and say, you can't do that. And yet the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. I feel like it's what God called me to do. I'm not going to judge any other ministry and say that they shouldn't do what they're supposed to do. I'm just saying this is what God led me to do. I've made a commitment. I've done it. And did you know, in hindsight... I look back and I think this is one of the smartest things that I've ever done. There are people that take my materials and give it to others because it's free. They can't buy enough materials to use it and give to other people, but they'll take mine free. And I've been exposed to people and I've been able to reach people that I've never would have reached if if I had to charge and people had to pay and get all of my materials. We decided to make our website free. And I remember when they developed that and they came to me and they said, we know you give your materials away, but the website, we have to have people that put this together and service it. And it's going to be expensive to run a website. Do you still want to give things away free? And I thought about it and prayed about it. And I thought, well, I don't know why the website's any different than the mail or anything else. And actually, it's less expense per unit to me. And I told them, yeah, make it free. And we have hundreds and hundreds of things free on our website, free downloads. And did you know what? In the natural, I've had people challenge me. And to the natural way of thinking, this is not the way that it works. And yet, I'd have to look at my stats. I forget exactly what it is. But we're over half a million dollars a month comes in through the website. I think it's more approaching a million dollars. I'm not absolutely sure on that. But it has become a tremendous thing. And there's people, I just read an email yesterday where people just send other people to my website because they can get the materials free. We have over a million visits a month to our website because it's free. And people can get all of this stuff. And you know what? When the Lord spoke these things to me, I didn't see the wisdom in it. It looked foolish to make the commitment that I made, but I just had made the fact that Jesus, you're Lord. And if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And if it means that I'll never have anything and I'll, I'll never have very much money and I'll only be able to minister to a few people, fine. I just did it. Did you know, looking back, it's one of the smartest things I ever did. It has exposed me to more people. And then when, when the people get ministered to, the Holy Spirit deals with them and encourages them to become a part of what I'm doing. And praise God, all of my bills are paid. And we are building this new building for $20 million debt-free. And as soon as we get it built, we got another building for $27 million. And I'm going to do it debt-free. And all of this is happening while we're giving our materials away. The majority of people don't give us a penny. 
I'm telling you, the scripture says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs 3, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. And that's what I've done. I'm just seeking the Lord. I believe his word. I've made Jesus my Lord and to the best of my ability, I'm doing what he tells me to do. And when I started giving tapes away, I didn't know of another person on the face of the earth who did that. The very first person I had ever heard of who on a large scale, rather than just the one individual, but on a large scale, just had a policy that his materials were free, was Keith Green. And he gave away his music tapes that way. It's the first person I'd ever heard of. Since then, I've met other people like Dwayne Sheriff, who I think has actually given away more materials than I have free. And there are other people who do that. But at the time, I didn't know of anybody who had ever done it. And it just didn't make sense. But it was, Jesus was Lord. This is what He led me to do. I did it. And you know what? It has turned out to be one of the smartest things I've ever done. Just like my mother was saying, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I didn't anticipate. I couldn't see what it would do. But you know what? If you just follow the Lord, He will make you look good. God just helps me to make decisions. He's, it's amazing. And I'm not saying these things to pat myself on the back. I am really saying these things to glorify the Lord. That if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what? But I just feel privileged that God chose me. And the only reason that I've seen God use me and that people's lives are being changed and the good things are happening that are, that are happening, it's because I've made... I've got two philosophies that the Word of God is absolute. I study it. God speaks to me and it's changed my heart. It's changed my life. And Jesus is my Lord. And I do what He tells me to do to the best of my ability. And to the degree that I've cooperated and followed Jesus, He has blessed me more than I could have ever imagined. I am blessed coming in, blessed going out. I am blessed, blessed, blessed. And I'm trying to get this across to you because I know that this is not the normal mindset. The average person obeys God when it makes sense to you, when it seems like it's to your advantage. But if the Lord was to ask you to do something that looked like it was to your disadvantage, to go to Pritchett, Colorado, and lay all of your dreams and stuff down, to give your materials away or whatever it is in your particular situation... There's a lot of you that would sit there and at the very least debate it. And probably the majority would sit there and say, well, this just doesn't look like it's good and I'm not going to do it. I don't care what the Lord says. This is what I think. You know what? You got a wrong philosophy. You think that it's still up for debate. You should have just made this decision about, I don't believe God ever lies. He always tells the truth. Matter of fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 6 that it's impossible for God to lie. But even if you can't see the wisdom in what he's saying, if it looks to you like he is doing something that's wrong, you should just make a decision that you know what? He's God and you aren't and you just learn to obey. You just make an absolute surrender of your life to him. You know, I've heard people before say things like, well, I wouldn't serve a God who didn't heal you and didn't prosper you and didn't bless you. I understand what they're saying. And praise God, I don't have to make that choice because our God is a good God. And God wants better things for us than I want for our, myself. And so I believe in the goodness of God 100%. But 
I made a commitment of my life to the Lord before I found out that He was a good God. I was told that it was God who killed my dad when I had just turned 12 years old. I was told that God is the one who punishes people and causes tragedy and hurt and pain and that God is angry at people. I was told those things. And even though I now know through the Word of God that that's not true, did you know I accepted Jesus as my Lord and I got born again when I thought that God was a harsh, mean, angry God. And I made a total commitment of my life to Him as God before I found out He was good. And so this statement that some people make about, I wouldn't serve a God who won't do this and this and this, I don't relate to that. Because I just made a commitment to God that I'll serve Him and whoever He is, however He is. If He wanted to punish me, if He wanted to destroy me, He's God, I'm not. I've run up the white flag and I've surrendered to Him. I know that there's many people that you just, oh, I can't believe you do that because to most people, you are God. You are more important. Your interest and your opinion is more important to you than God. And some of you, are, it's just like I'm from a different planet. Like, how could you make a decision like that? I, I don't know exactly except that I just felt I, was, I had God reveal Himself to me when I was eight years old. I got born again. When I was 18, He rang my bell big time. And He showed me that He was God. He showed me His glory. And I just fell on my face and made Him absolute Lord of my life. And I didn't know if that was good or bad. I didn't, you know, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam because he told me to quit school. And this is back when we were given deferments from the military if I stayed in school. I knew that I was going to lose money from the government, uh, AIDS, you know, uh, assistance if I stayed in school. I was possibly going to be drafted and sent to Vietnam. It could kill me. And I knew that all of those things were potential. A lot of people say, well, I wouldn't have done it then. Because you just are so driven by self-preservation and taking care of yourself that you will do that. And it doesn't matter if God Himself appeared and told you. It doesn't matter. I am not going to do this because it's not what I want. I didn't have that problem. I had already made this commitment that God, I'll go anywhere, do anything. And when I knew that God told me to quit school, if the consequences were that I lost money each month, if the consequences were that I went to Vietnam and got killed, so be it. It didn't matter. This is what God told me to do. And I tell you, it just simplifies the Christian life so much when you don't have to sit there and debate God. And I'll tell you this about the Lord. I've learned this about the Lord, that He's not going to debate with you. The Lord will tell you to do something. And if you obey and follow it willingly then you know what? Good will come out of it. It'll always work to your advantage. You'll wind up finding out that it was better to obey God than to lean under your own understanding. But if you don't do what God tells you to do, He's not going to argue with you. He's not going to put you under His thumb and He's not going to pressure you and hurt you. You can do your own thing. And He'll still love you and He will bless you to the degree that you will allow Him to do it. But God's not going to debate things with you. Now, if you are struggling and want to know and you're sincere, God, help me over this. He'll help you and He'll deal with your flesh. But I'm saying God's not going to argue with you over things. He'll tell you to do something and you can go your own way. And then after you crash and burn and after you run off of a cliff and after there's total destruction in your life and you come to the end of yourself and, oh God, I'll do anything. 
then he'll come back and tell you what he told you to do in the first place. That's the way that the Lord deals with you. He's not going to force you. He will not argue with you over things. He'll just reveal his will to you and you have a choice whether to obey or not. But the right choice is to obey. The right choice is to make God the Lord of your life. And when you do that, it just simplifies everything. I could give you so many examples in my life. Jeff Nakala, I can't always get his name right, but I think that's right. And Jeff came through our Bible school. It's a long story. We got his testimony on DVD too. And anyway, Jeff made some decisions and just followed the Lord about getting married to his wife, Autumn. And then after they were married, about their ministry, and they just followed step by step what God told them to do. And some of those steps didn't look wise. It, you couldn't see the wisdom in it, but you know, in hindsight, you look back and God was moving them and now they're running our third year media class in the Bible school and impacting people's lives and he's just as happy and blessed as he can be. It works for him. It works for me. It'll work for you. I'm telling you that just following the Lord, whether it makes sense to you or not, if you are going to sit here and lean under your own understanding you are going to make a mess of your life. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. I've already used those verses out of Jeremiah 10, 23. You just need to make him Lord. Look at this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 10. Jesus was ministering and it says in verse 17, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You know, this looks pretty good on the surface. Jesus was an outcast in his day. There was a lot of people that accepted him, but the establishment, the religious leaders rejected him. And they had actually said that if anybody confessed that Jesus was the Christ, they would kick him out of the synagogue. He would be uh, excommunicated from the Jewish faith. And so it cost you to go to Jesus' meetings. Here was a man who ran and fell at the feet of Jesus in an in a act of worship and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was going to face possible excommunication. He was going to be rejected, punishment. There could be, there could be negatives associated with uh, identifying yourself with Jesus. But even though it looks so good, most of us, see, only look on the outside. The Bible says, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that God looks on the heart. The Lord looked past His outward actions and profession of commitment to the Lord and he saw his heart and he saw in his heart that there wasn't a true commitment. So look at what Jesus said. In verse 18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. This man said, Good master, what must I do? It looked good. To most people, they wouldn't have perceived that there was still reservation in his heart. But Jesus looked at his heart and he knew that this man was willing to go a certain degree, a certain distance, but he wasn't willing to go all the way. He wasn't willing to make Jesus Lord and submit himself completely. Now, if Jesus would have been a religious person today, they would have just welcomed him into the church and have accepted him. I mean, we allow people with virtually no commitment whatsoever. And there is a partial truth there that it's not based on our performance. But you know what? In your heart, you do need to confess Jesus as your Lord. I've already used that verse in Romans 10, 9. You need to make Him Lord of your life. Not just acknowledge that He existed and say, well, I believe you're a good person. 
I'll submit to you and receive salvation. No, you need to commit your life to Him as Lord. Jesus knew that this man was not all he professed to be. And so the Lord told him, He says, You either call me God or quit calling me good. Now that is a huge leap. There are a lot of people today who are willing to say that Jesus is a great person. I remember I talked to a person one time who had designed the very first set that we had on our television thing, and he had designed sets for Kathy Lee Gifford, and you know he was a real famous guy, and he had hobnobbed with some of the famous people. And anyway, we got to talking about the Lord, and I got to talking to the Lord, and he said, Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was a wonderful example. I believe Jesus is the greatest example of love that the world has ever seen, and I receive some of his teachings, and he's a good man, and all of these things. But I believe that there's many ways unto God. And I believe that Buddha and Krishna and all of these things and New Age, all of these things, there are just many different paths unto one God. And I immediately turned that around. I said, you are absolutely wrong. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There are not many paths unto God. You have to go only through Jesus. That's what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, no man has seen the Father except the Son. I've declared him, and you have to accept my revelation. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ is what it says in John chapter 1. And the only way we can access God is by grace. And that came through Jesus. So the only way to God is through Jesus. Jesus just isn't a good person. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the only way to God. And either Jesus was a crook and a charlatan that totally misrepresented things, or he was who he said he was. But you can't, you can't pick and choose and say, well, he was good, but he was deceived. No, Jesus was either the way to God or He was totally wrong and He misrepresented everything. You can't just partially embrace Him. If He is God, then we need to worship Him and serve Him as God. And this is basically what Jesus was saying to this rich young ruler. He was willing to come and fall at His feet. He was willing to say, You're a good master. What must I do? He was willing to receive instruction from Him but he wasn't willing to make him God. And you can prove that because after Jesus said those things to him, look at his response in Mark chapter 10 and in verse 20. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He called him good master at first. And Jesus said, either drop the good and just call me master or make me God. But you can't, you can't compromise and just have him something less. You've got to go all the way. And this man was unwilling to go all the way and he just dropped the good. And he says, well, then I'll make you master. And Jesus looked at him and it says, beholding him, he loved him. He didn't say these things because he hated him and wanted to reject him. Jesus loved him and said these things because it was to his own benefit. I'm saying these things because I love you. Some of you may think I'm just being harsh and mean. I'm trying to set people free. And I'm telling you that as long as you are sitting on the throne of your life and as long as you think that you are God, you are a recipe for disaster. You, it is to your benefit to recognize that you aren't smart enough to be God. You aren't smart enough to run your own life. You need to run up a white flag and surrender and say, Oh God, I want your guidance in my life. 
You know, right now, I just know by the Spirit of God that I'm speaking to some people that your life is an absolute wreck. You've been praying, what could I have done differently in all of this? And you're trying to figure it out in your own understanding. And God is speaking to you through me and telling you that the reason your life is a wreck is because you did it your way. You and Frank Sinatra did it your way. And it's just, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And you are reaping the results of your own wisdom. It's not because you're a terrible person. It's just that in your own self, you aren't qualified to run your own life. I'm saying this to your own benefit. I'm saying it because I love you, that God wants you to run up a white flag to give an unconditional surrender. And not say, all right, God, I'll let you control this part of my life over here if it works out. No, you just turn your life over to the Lord and you quit leaning under your own understanding and you make Him Lord. See, that's what this rich young ruler did not do. He continued to say, well, I'm willing to go to a degree, but I'm not willing to make you God and serve you. And the Lord knew it. And so here's how he brought out his lack of commitment. He said unto him, he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the Lord didn't say that because he wanted his money. He said, go give this money to the poor. It wasn't motivated by selfish. It wasn't manipulation. He didn't say this to hurt this guy because later on after this man left, the Lord told his disciples, there's not a single person that has forsaken houses or lands, father, mother, brother, sister, family for my sake, but what they will receive a hundredfold in this life and in the world to come, everlasting life. If this rich young ruler would have done what Jesus said, he would have gotten filthy, stinking, dirty, rich off of the return in this life is what it says. The Lord wasn't saying these things to take his money from him, but rather he was using it to show that you know what? You trust in your resources. You trust in your own physical, natural things more than you trust in God. And yet God said, give. He asked for a tenth in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's not a specific amount, but I believe if the Old Testament, which was inferior to the New Testament, was 10%, I believe you ought to give at least that or much more today. And you know that the Word says that. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. Give and it shall be given unto you. Every man give as he purposes in his heart. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. You know those scriptures. And yet you know what? You aren't willing to submit to Him because it doesn't make sense to you. You think, I need this money. I can't do without it. The bottom line is you don't really, you haven't really made Him Lord. Now, the good news is that if you would give and start doing what the Lord told you to do, you wouldn't have less, you'd have more. But see, that doesn't make sense to your natural mind. Your natural mind's thinking, no, I'd have less. I don't have enough now. And if I give a portion of what I've got away, then I'll even be further away from my goal. That's the way that the natural mind looks at it. And if there wasn't a God who promised that when you give... He will give back unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over would men give into your bosom. If there wasn't a God who existed and promised that He would do that for you, well, then it's true that by taking a portion of what you've got and giving it away, you'd have less. But since there is a God who's made that promise, it's not true that you'll have less. You'll have more. And so the good news is, that if you would obey God, you would be better off financially than you are now. 
But if you just had this philosophy that Jesus, you are Lord, and whatever you instruct me to do, I'm going to do it. And even if it doesn't look like it's to my own advantage, I'm going to follow you. I will do what you tell me to do. If you would just do that, then that would solve the problem right there. It would simplify things. It would take away this tension and this stress and this struggle about it. Oh, it's so hard to please God. The only reason it's hard for you to please God is because you haven't made Him Lord of your life. You're still debating things and leaning under your own understanding. You know, a great example of this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children. And they were rulers in the kingdom of Babylon, and the king made this image of himself out of gold and commanded that everybody worship when the music played. And they refused to bend. They wouldn't bow down before his image. And so they brought them before the king, and he says, I'll give you one more chance when the music plays. If you'll bend and bow, I won't kill you. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the burning, fiery furnace. And they said, we are not careful to answer you in this. That just means that they didn't have any worry about it. They weren't struggling. They, oh, they wanted to live, but you know. No, they had already solved this. They had died to themselves. God was in control of their life and they were serving Him. And if serving God meant that they would die, no problem. They weren't worried about it. They didn't have to go pray about it and decide what they'd do. There are some of you, see, that haven't made a commitment that you're going to serve God regardless. It just depends on what the circumstances are. And so if you're under enough pressure and if the potential damage is enough, many of you just wouldn't continue to serve God. You wouldn't stand up and speak for the Lord. It depends on the circumstance. It's so much easier to just make a decision that, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. If it, if it costs me my life, if it costs me my job, if it costs me my friends, if it costs me my health, if it costs me anything, I'm going to serve you Regardless, if you make that decision now, then when you come into these tight situations, stressful situations, it takes the stress out of it because you've already determined it. You've already made the decision. It's just easy. You're going to do it. It's predetermined. Well, that's powerful. And see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that, and they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and He will deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we won't serve you. You know, I've mentioned this on TV before and I have people always write in to me and trying to say that this is a negative confession and they would not have said that we're going to serve you even if it cost us our life. And I, please don't write me about this. I've heard all the arguments and I may not be articulating what I'm saying well, but I'm not saying that this was a negative confession and an expression of their unbelief. I just believe it's a statement that, you know what, I believe God is going to deliver me, but if He doesn't, I'm still going to do what's right. I'm still going to serve God. I will not bow down to an image. I don't care. I've made God Lord over my life and it is non-negotiable. See, I've done this. When my wife and I were evacuated from the fires in 2002, we prayed and we believed God that our house was going to be safe and we really did believe it was going to be safe. We didn't take our stuff with us. We were trusting that it was going to be safe. But we made the statement that, you know what, even if our house burned, I'm not going to quit serving God. When my son died, I said, I believe he's coming back from the dead. But even if he didn't come back from the dead, I'm still going to love God with my whole heart. It wasn't a statement of unbelief. It was a statement of commitment that my commitment doesn't just go as long as it looks like it's to my benefit. I will serve God regardless of the outcome. 
That's a philosophy, making Jesus Lord. And I encourage you to adopt that philosophy.